Good morning. How are you all doing? As the scriptures was read this morning, thanks Adrian, and thanks for all those who led us in worship. Um, it's great to come to the house of the Lord to worship, and those of you who are outside there enjoying the cool breeze, I'm not sure whether it's cool, but, oh, yes, good. And those of you are online that you're watching, um, welcome, and as we look into this word of God, let's commit ourselves to this word and uh, let his word speak to our hearts. Shall we pray? God of Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to see, Lord, what you have for us. Father, we are the people of your word and we come under your word. And this morning, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. And that we will, Lord, be like, uh, like people, Lord, who would take your word and put it into practice. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about Jesus walking on the storm. It's one of those rarest uh, occasions when Jesus did that. There's another time when he was in the storm, but he was in the boat. So this time, he was in a situation where he was not in the boat. The setting of Matthew 14 takes us back to a mafia family of the first century. And they had a godfather known as Herod. So the Herod, Herodian family ruled that land like mafias. The roots of this family was tainted with blood, <laughs> murder, and all those things. The godfather of this family had killed many. He was known as Herod the Great. He gave a new meaning to human depravity. He married no less than 10 times. And in the process, he married, I mean, he murdered several of his wives, as well as several of his own sons, which led to a popular saying, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. His pigs had better chance to live a long life. David McKenna, a, a, a professor of a Bible college, he said, this lottering of men and flaunting God, Herod deserves a niche in the pantheon of the histories of villains, along with Caligula, Nero, Genghis Khan, Hitler, and Idi Amin. It was his son, Herod the Antipas, had his eyes on Jesus after he beheaded John the Baptist. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 2, it says, At the time when Herod the Tetrarch heard about the reports of Jesus, he and his attendants, he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That's why this miracle's powers are working him. King Herod, he was kind of suspicious about, who, about this Jesus. He thought, good riddance, I've got rid of this guy, John the Baptist. Now who is this other person doing all uh, miracles and signs and wonders? So he thought maybe it was John the Baptist come back to life. So it was Herod's guilt and superstition that led him to fear and be afraid of Jesus in a sense. 
So in this passage, chapter 14, we see so many elements of Jesus' life at work. And we will pick up a few of them as we continue this morning. Coming back to John chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples to get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, just that verse, the starting verse has got heaps in it. Immediately. Soon after feeding the 5,000, we saw that last Sunday, that Jesus fed, as the Bible says, 5,000 men. So they could have been women and children, could have been at least 10 to 15,000 people that Jesus fed. While the food was still in their stomach, Jesus made the disciples to get in the boat. A better translation of this, of this word immediately, uh, and, and, and Jesus making the disciples to get in the boat, would be to force or compel. So in a sense, Jesus forced his disciples to get into the boat and go. Jesus did not give his disciples a choice. He made them get into the boat and leave him alone. We saw that last Sunday as Tim was speaking. He wanted to be alone. But then he saw these crowds. He had compassion on them. And he met their needs. And so here, again, there was this need, there was urge in Jesus to be alone. So he dismissed, he sends his disciples off in a boat, and then he dismisses the crowd. There was a massive crowd. He dismisses them. The two reasons why Jesus did this. So immediately, so quickly, after the miracle, after the miracle of feeding 10 to 15,000 people, he dismisses the disciples and the crowds. Firstly, he wanted to escape the crowd. He wanted to get some rest. He wanted to be alone. Now, in this chapter, the word crowd or crowds is mentioned seven times. Just gives the picture that they wanted to be with Jesus. Wherever he went, there was crowds and crowds following Jesus. So, he wanted to get away and find some lonely time. And also, another reason is John 16. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Okay, I'll come back to that. John 6 verse 15 says... Jesus, knowing that they, hinted, that they had intended to come and make him the king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So John says, they wanted to make him a king by force. Now they saw the welfare program that he had, that he could feed that vast multitudes. And they wanted to make him a king. There was this push to make Jesus the king, especially after this fantastic miracle. I, I, as I was going, just maybe I, I, I kind of pondered temptation for Jesus. Maybe, maybe Jesus was tempted. Maybe it was time to avenge the cruel murder of his cousin John the Baptist. Here was people, fifteen to ten—I mean, ten to fifteen thousand people around him, wanted to make him the king. What a temptation it must have been for Jesus, saying, "Now is my time. I can be crowned the king." With this crowd, maybe I can take my revenge. But that was not Jesus' intention. He came into the world to serve and to set us free from our sins. Jesus is a king, not of a temporary kingdom. 
but of an eternal kingdom. His kingdom lasts forever and ever. He is still the king. There's no more Roman emperors, but Jesus is still the king. He is the king who rules and reigns in our hearts. Secondly, Jesus made his disciples to get on the boat when he dismissed them. Was that he wanted to be alone to pray? He wanted to be alone to pray. Verse 23, he dismissed the crowd. He dismissed, the, uh, dismissed them and he went up to the mountainside to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Now, during Jesus' time, when he was on this earth, Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. He prayed in lonely places. He prayed on a hill. He prayed in a garden. He prayed in the morning, in the evening. Sometimes all through the night, he prayed. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus spent time alone with his father. Luke chapter 5 verse 16, Jesus often withdrew into lonely places and prayed. Mark 1 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. There are times when Jesus is by himself alone praying. And here is a chapter where it, it shows us that Jesus was praying. He wanted to be alone. Probably he was grieving the death of his cousin. He wanted time alone to be with his father. Then at Gethsemane, just before his brutal death, probably Jesus was alone in the garden praying, asking God to give strength and courage to face his own death. He knew what was coming. He knew the horrific death he was going to die. He was in the garden alone, praying. And it's interesting, friends, both these times, as Matthew has said in, in this, on this occasion, chapter 14, and in Garden of Gethsemane, both these times, Jesus was facing a major decision or crisis in his life. And the disciples did not understand what Jesus was going through. That must have been lonely times. How many times have you said, even my closest friend doesn't understand what I'm going through. You might be saying, I'm lonely. I'm struggling. I've got this crisis. I've got a decision to make. No one can understand me. Friends, take comfort this morning because Jesus went through the same situation. He was lonely. We see that we see his human nature at play here. He was struggling. He was grieving. There are difficult moments in his life where Jesus prayed. He prayed, and the situation did not change. He still had to face the cross. He still had to grieve for his cousin's John the Baptist's death. The situation did not change, but it gave Jesus the strength to face those situations. It gave Jesus the courage and the boldness to go ahead on in this decision, in this crisis. There are times when we feel all alone. No one seems to understand. There are times where we need to be alone with God 
and to find the strength and courage to find the pleasures of life. Find the time to be alone with God. Jesus was distracted. There was this crowd he had to feed, and now his disciples there in the story. He was distracted so many times, but yet he managed to find time alone with God. And friends, it doesn't matter how many times we're distracted with the pressures of life. Let's find time alone to be with God. He gives us the strength that we need. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. God gives us the strength. He renews within us. He gives us the strength to face what's ahead. So here's Jesus facing the pressures of life. Alone, praying. And while he was alone praying, the disciples find themselves in a life-threatening situation. How does Jesus respond? What does he do? Jesus walks on the water. Matthew, Mark, John, all three of them describe this miracle of Jesus walking on the water. Something that gripped their heart to write in the writings of the famous miracle in the New Testament. Verse 24. It says he saw, and then the boat... Not a battery. Oh, it's back on. And the boat was a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, and the wind was against it. The Bible says the boat was at a considerable distance, buffeted by the waves, being bashed by the waves. It has been a long and a challenging day for the disciples. Two things here. Two things. Jesus saw, and he responds, and he went to them. Look at this verse, Mark chapter 6, verse 48. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He saw and he went out. What was Jesus doing at this time? He was alone with God on the mountaintop praying and then he sees his disciples. He saw his disciples in the lake struggling as the wind was against them. The disciples did not see Jesus, but Jesus saw them struggling and helpless. He saw them from the mountaintop where he was praying through the darkness of the night. And friends, what an assurance for us. What an assurance for us this morning that Jesus is praying for us. He is in the heaven interceding for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, Christ Jesus died, who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Jesus, right now, is interceding for you and for me. Isn't that marvelous? He's interceding for us. He knows your need. He feels the burden that we feel. He knows what we're going through. He knows our pressures. He knows our struggles. And he's praying for us. He's in interceding for us. Here's the thing. If you, need, if you knew that Jesus was in the next room praying for you, just sitting there in the next room praying for you, 
Would it not give you a new courage and endurance? Won't there be assurance that here is Jesus in this room next to me praying? Of course it would. But he's not in the next room. But he's in the heaven interceding for you. He sees our need and he knows our struggles. He knows our fears. And he is interceding. John chapter 6 verse 19 in his side of the story, John says that road over uh, for about three or four miles, about four, five or six kilometers on the lake. Now Jesus could see from the mountain. They're almost five or six kilometers away. Maybe from here, Costco, not lakes. From the mountaintop, Jesus could see them at that distance. Through the storms and the waves battering the boat. Jesus could see them from the mountaintop. What an assurance, friends. It doesn't matter what we're going through. He knows us. He watches over us. He feels what we're going through. He precisely knew where they were, and he comes to them at the hour of the desperation. He always knows where we are in our journey. He knows the right time. And verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, all night, Jesus was praying on the mountain. Just before dawn, between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus decided to go to them. They're in some, the disciples had some serious trouble. It is deep darkness just before dawn. All night long, they were trying to survive. They had lost control of, of the boat. Their life was in a mess. They were going to drown. And yet, Jesus takes his own time to come. Early morning hours, just before dawn, he comes. Why does he take his own time? When Jairus' daughter was dying, there's interruption, and Jesus seems to take his own time. When Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, died, Martha and Mary, they sent word for Jesus. Lord, your brother is dying. Come, lay your hands that he'll be healed. He'll recover from his death. But he didn't turn up. Another two, three days later. Imagine the timekeeping in a Western society. He doesn't work according to our time, friends. He doesn't work according to our chronos. No, he doesn't work according to our watches. God has his own time where he works. He works in his own ways. He, he, he does not work in our time. But he does work. He does come. He does rescue us. Now this morning if you're wondering, I've been praying and praying and praying and God's not answering my prayer. Where is God? He's coming. He knows the right time. In the most of the disciples, in the darkest of the night, that's when Jesus turns up. There was nothing that was going to stop Jesus. The howling winds, the huge waves, he came walking over them. Nothing can stop Jesus from coming to our rescue. Nothing. No enemy in the world, no demon in the world, no obstacles in the world can stop Jesus from coming. 26 and 27. It says when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, how did they react? 
They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Look at this verse. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they had never seen anything like this before. Huge storms buffeting, bashing against the boat. Wind was howling. It was still dark out there. And there was somebody, they could see in the shadows, someone walking. And they thought it was a ghost. The word literally means they were thrown into panic. They were terrified. No way they could process what was going on. No way they could be seeing a human being would be walking on the water. No way they knew that Jesus was up in the mountains and he forced the disciples to go out into the lake. They never thought it was Jesus. But we find Jesus didn't let their panic last very long. In the midst of deadly circumstances, when they're about to drown, he says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Why didn't he say, why didn't he say, take courage, it's me, Jesus. Do not be afraid. And at first when I thought, I thought, yeah, well, it could have made sense, it is me, your friend, Jesus. But he uses this term, it is I. Now that intrigued me, got deep, deeper, digging into this. It is I. And here is what Jesus is declaring when he says it is I. It is saying that I am that I am. I am that I am. For the first time we see this title for God being used in Exodus. Remember the story when God chose Moses to go back to Egypt? To tell the Pharaoh the superpower kingdom at that time, to tell the most powerful rulers of all time, to go to him and say, I am that I am, send me. No wonder Pharaoh thought Moses foolish. Who is this I am that I am? When God told Moses, I am that I am, he was telling them that he is a self-sufficient, self-sustaining God who was, who is, and who will be. Self-sustaining Self-sufficient uh, God, all-powerful God. He spoke with them and he said, do not be afraid. This phrase, do not be afraid, stretches from Genesis to Revelation a hundred times. I'm just exaggerating. But it's all over the Bible, friends, when he says, do not be afraid. It is I. Whenever their people, his people were in crisis, Jesus said, do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, friends, when, when we are in a difficult situation, struggling, fear is the one that comes and grips us. That's the tactic of the enemy, to put fear in our heart. It paralyzes our faith. No wonder Jesus says every time, he said to Jairus, he said to the, the, the disciples who were in the boat, he told them, he said, do not be afraid, it is I. Something marvelous happens next. Peter walks on, on the water. Peter should have shut his mouth and stayed in the boat. But he yelled out. He yelled out and he said, Lord, if it is you, 
he yelled out. He said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come on this water. Remember, the, 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 there was waves, there was storm that was still happening. And Peter said, Lord, I want to come. And Jesus said, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. He really responded to Jesus' invitation and got out of the boat. Maybe his desire was to be with Jesus on the water. Maybe he thought it was better, to, better, to be, uh, better off to be near Jesus in the water than in the sinking boat. We have no idea what prompted Peter to ask such a question. But his faith in Jesus was remarkable. And Jesus invites Peter to come. And Peter gets out of the boat. He begins to walk on the water. Just like Jesus was walking on the water. He comes to Jesus. But suddenly, verses 30 and 31, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? Peter was fine as long as he was looking at Jesus and trusted in his word. He trusted in that calling when Jesus said, come. But then, he took his eyes off Jesus, looked around the waves, could hear the howling winds. He was afraid, and he began to sink. Such is a human nature, isn't it? So quickly, we take our eyes off Jesus, and we look at the things around us. We look at the waves, the storm around us. Peter was overwhelmed when things were out of his control. It's such a wonderful picture here of walking in faith. It shows Peter was able to do the miraculous just by looking at Jesus. Even when Peter failed, Jesus was there to save him. As he was drowning, he said, Lord, please save me. Immediately, Jesus got hold of his hand. What a fantastic story that is. And the little girl... Jairus' daughter who was dying, Jesus went, who was dead, Jesus went there, got her by the hands, and lifted her up. Friends, he holds our hands this morning. Even if you're sinking, you feel you're drowning, he's there to grab your hands. It's the same Jesus we serve, isn't it? It's the same Jesus that we're reading in Matthew chapter 14. The same Jesus we serve this morning. So let's keep looking at him. Let's keep looking at Jesus. He's the author of our faith. He also makes our faith perfect. In times like that, in stormy situations, when we go through crisis, he makes our faith perfect. Another beautiful verse, verse 33. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. They moved quickly from fearing to worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. You are the Son of God. What a marvelous thing it is, friends. When we can worship Him, you are the Son of God. And those worship leaders out there, I've got, I've got a, a homework for you. Pick out all the places in the Bible where the word worship is mentioned. Study the context and see what it means. 
and see what it means. So many times we get distracted, we get sidetracked, and we go off the rails. But what is worship? It's a heart saying, Lord, it is you. Peter said, ho kurios, ho theos, my God, my Lord. It's a heart responding to him, saying, my God, it is you, no one else. It's a logic reaction, friends, considering the power that Jesus showed by walking on the water, the love that he showed, taking care of sinking Peter. And as we have learned, Jesus has power over all things, and that he can, there's nothing that he can't do, and that, that Jesus loves you, he cares for you, he is looking out for you. He loves you so much that he is willing to lay down his life for you. So in conclusion, life is a storm. Yet, Jesus calmly walks on the surface. We think we can follow him. Though it looks impossible, yes, we can follow him. And then he calls, then he himself calls us. As we hear his voice, we are filled with courage. We step out of the metaphorical boat of our safe assumptions, self-made protection, in order to follow him. Our faith fails when we're distracted from looking at Jesus. And instead of looking at Jesus, we look at the wind and the waves that are around us and we feel as if we are drowning. And yet, even in that time, when we cry out to God, he reaches out and rescues us. He takes us by our hands to a place of safety. This story is intriguing. Because it describes the timeless human situation. Now, if you find yourself in the midst of chaos and danger, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to him. In response to communion this morning, in an act of worship, let's participate. Jesus is the one who can calm the storms of our life. Because he is the one who liberates us from sin and death. Our trust is in Jesus, what Jesus will do for us. Our trust is what Jesus did for Peter that he will do for us. Grab us, hold us firmly, even when the flood waters around us. The Bible says when you walk through the floods, he's there with us. Friends, maybe you are in a stormy water. There is no end in sight. And maybe you are struggling to get onto the water. Maybe he's asking you, come, come. Take that step of faith, trusting in him. Maybe the terrifying wind and the waves is holding you back. However the storm rages, when there's no end in sight, what then? Jesus says, I am that I am. Do not be afraid. Who was and is and who will be, Mr. Come. Let's take some time, friends, as you open up our emblems. Are you in a stormy situation? 
Is there storms that breaking over you and you have the sinking feeling? I'm not sure what's happening. And they're crying out to God. He knows what we're going through. He sees what we're going through. He knows your struggles. Let's come to him. Let's take a few moments and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Help me to take that step. Maybe you've already taken the step and you're watching those wind and waves and they're sinking you, they're dragging you in. Help, help us, Lord, to refocus this morning. Refocus to keep our eyes on Jesus. As we take the bread, Jesus had prepared himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, waiting alone, asking God to give strength. And then his journey to the cross began. In that room that night, he knew his betrayer was there. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to be mocked. And his body was broken for us. So let's take the bread, signifying his body. And then the cup, signifying his blood that was shed for us. He died that we might have life. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, a place of power and authority. And is watching us. Shall we take the cup? And this morning, friends, as just as you can imagine, Jesus sitting in the room next to us, praying for us. He is in the heavenly realms, interceding for us interceding in our spirit and we can cry Appa, Father help me in my situation the musicians could come up and lead us in a song while we contemplate this whole story this whole situation the wind, the waves, and Jesus walking all the situation. What an encouragement it is for us this morning to know Jesus cares for us. Father, we come to you. Maybe we are in the boat beaten and Buffeted by the winds. 
Or maybe we are in this, in this water looking at the wind and waves, facing the pressures of life, difficult circumstances. Father, we pray that at this very moment, we might say, Lord, it's the deepest, the darkest moment of our lives. We can't see anything around us. You said, I am that I am. Do not be afraid. Who was, who is, and who will be. Lord, as we look to you this morning, give us that assurance, that courage, that boldness to face that's ahead of us. Father, I pray for each and every one here, Lord, this morning who are sitting here and outside and those of us who are watching us online, wherever you are sitting at the moment, wherever you are, there's no barriers for Jesus. Nothing can stop him from coming to us. Father, thank you that you walk over our situations. You walk over the storms. And thank you for your power that works in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. God bless you.